Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. Russell. Uh, it's time, Russell. Yes, it's time. The Lust Experience. Lust. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just can't get excited, man. Like, <laughs> uh, Knowing that's happening and that's going to come after I say it, it's just... It hurts my head. Embrace it. Never. Embrace Never. it. Uh, okay. So since the last podcast, some cool stuff has happened with the Lust Experience. It hasn't been that long, actually. Yeah. So since the last podcast, um, Andrew Cash got a call from Stacy. Stacy is from iConfidant. And it sounds like Andrew is somehow getting set up. Because Stacy called him to tell him that she was offended and upset that he was sending such explicit and unethical emails. So someone is sending iConfidant emails under Andrew's name. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of weird. And she also said that his wife had signed up for the service and all this weird stuff. So And Andrew claims that none of this happened by him and that he doesn't know anything about it. And so obviously someone's impersonating him. Yeah. And then a couple days later, Jackie gets a call from someone named Marco. And he said he was from the Lust Experience. Like, like I'm from the Lust Experience, like, which is just weird. It's very odd that anyone would identify themselves that way. Yeah. And he asked her kind of like... I don't know, marketing type questions like, how are you enjoying yourself so far? And what do you think? Like things like that, like almost look, looking for feedback on how the less experience is going. But the, the weird thing is, is if that was real, Mike, why didn't more people get those calls? Right. So it sounds to me like that was targeted. Yeah. And we later found out that Marco is confirmed to be one of the investors. Right. So early on, Clint and Darren said, since they were off the projects, like, I think the investors kicked them off. So here's confirmation that the investors are in charge. Or at least in charge enough to be, I was about to say meddling, but I don't know if this is meddling. <laughs> yeah, they just want to make their product good. Uh, apparently, by asking is, what? Well, which is interesting if the investors are from Colombia and they're talking about their product. Uh, where are you going <laughs> oh i think you know someone's gonna become a drug runner so uh that's not what i think of when i think lust but okay yeah you smuggle other things <laughs> moving on uh and then we started getting emails back from iconfidant and one person that didn't was our friend morgan mm -hmm. and morgan wasn't happy with that so he reached out to them and well, we should point out that Morgan was one of the very first contacts, right? He got a phone call. So it's really odd that he didn't get that email. Right. And especially since it was a phone call. So they heard his accent. So they have no reason not to like talk to him because <laughs> everyone falls for that accent. Exactly. But yeah, so he reached out to them and they're like, oh my God, it was human error. Kristen, who is Stacy's assistant, made a mistake. So then Kristen called Morgan and apologized and then asked him out for coffee mm -hmm. so they had a date and then after the date happened she called him back very upset and told him that she was sorry and that they didn't find what they were looking for 
Well, all right, but we have to set that up a little bit. I mean, Morgan did share some details about that date that were very odd. Actually, part of the thing that was odd was how absolutely normal it sounded until one thing happened. Uh, and Morgan said that Kristen was quite lovely and quite charming, and, and he enjoyed chatting with her, it seemed. But then he said there were a couple of times when she sort of tilted her head to the side, looked at him, and asked him to slow down and repeat what he had just said. Right. So, and he said the first time he thought it was probably the accent that was that was the problem. And and I've joked with him openly several times that sometimes I have to ask him to repeat things because I can't get the accent if he's talking really fast. So that happened a couple of times to the point where he noticed and he thought it was odd. And I asked him on the forums if he thought he might be recorded or something like that. So for her to call later upset after this lovely meeting where she did ask him to repeat a couple of specific pieces of information, which Morgan has has said so far that he couldn't remember exactly what it was that he had repeated, um, which makes sense for casual conversation. You don't, you don't think that you have to, you know, regurgitate this verbatim later, but um, if she called so upset, Mike and said, that you know, apparently she was in tears, according to Morgan, and said, I'm sorry, they did not find what they were looking for. That leaves a couple of doors open. What was she looking for? Was the whole date a setup? Was Kristen not being genuine in caring about the mistake that Morgan's name was not on the list? Was the fact that Morgan, Morgan's name not on that list deliberate? Right. Was she trying to save him from something? That's possible. Or when he raised a red flag and said, hey, I didn't get the email, but you had originally contacted me, were they hoping that he would be invested enough to know that he would be gullible enough to accept a date from Kristen as an apology? Oh, right. So there's a lot of intrigue here, which is really interesting. But for her to call back, you know, so emotionally upset, I, I flat out told Morgan after I heard the story, I, I posted this on the forums of like, the problem is if she is telling Morgan that they didn't get what they were looking for, that means they're still looking, which means he's now a target. Mm, I wouldn't say he's a target because they're going to come back be, looking for info, right? That could be a generalization, not so much about Morgan. Oh no. The fact that she was so upset, the fact that she was emotional, I think Morgan should be very, very careful because if they didn't find what they were looking for and they feel that he has something they need to find out, they're going to find out some other way or they're going to try to find out some other yeah, way. Yeah, but Morgan is one of the people that will not blindly trust, but you send a girl in tears to him, he's going to believe her no matter what. So what if this is all a ploy? Good point. You know, and that's that's no offense to Morgan. That's just how he is. He's a nice guy. Absolutely is. And, you know, but here's here's where my mind goes because it's my mind. Mm -hmm. So they didn't find what they were looking for. And can you slow down? My theory was that, you know, we're talking about AI and mm -hmm. robots and stuff. What if she was a test type thing and she was recording what she he was saying, kind of like those like, you know, Russell, like text to speak like you like to use. And what, what, what? <laughs> if, what if she wasn't literally processing him quick enough based on what he was saying? So he had to slow down in order for her internal memory to understand what he was saying. So her to intelligence to is artificial. Right. To process and give a correct answer that makes sense. And 
by going back and then calling and saying they didn't find what they were looking for, I took that as like they hooked up like a USB thing to her to download information, but somehow whether it be in the processing because he spoke too fast or she internally hit a, a like a file somewhere inside of her, they couldn't get to it. Like that's like that's where my mind went. Oh wow. Okay, that last bit is kind of actually really disturbing. <laughs> wait, I- I'm feeling empathy and sympathy for a robot? Maybe wait, what <laughs> Damn it, I hate it when you confuse me that way, Mike. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> so so here's the thing. If, I don't know, I go back to, I, I feel like there's manipulation going on with iConfidant. Well, there totally is. So, and if somebody is manipulating, all right, let's go back to Andrew for a second. If somebody is impersonating Andrew, that means someone maybe is aware that iConfidant I confidant is up to something no good. And so were they trying to number one, save Andrew from something by get, by preventing him and his wife and his, his family from getting involved or possibly trying to infiltrate I confidant as Andrew before Andrew had a chance to respond. See, you, ha- you're such a, an optimist. I'm such a pessimist because you, where you go there, I'm like, someone's trying to, to make Andrew a target by being a dick. Hmm. And yeah, all right. <laughs> and here, like, you know, this goes kind of goes back to Brian Bishop's encounter in the hotel with the blackmail. It almost seems in a way like not so much a blackmail attempt on Andrew, but something along those lines, because Everything he wrote, they can now print and they can screenshot and show. I mean, they did that to him. Right. So is this going to be something down the line where Andrew, you know, maybe maybe something happens with iConfidant or with Noah or something. And then all of a sudden, like an election, it's like, oh, Andrew, what about these emails where you're harassing Stacey Erickson, the owner of iConfidant? Interesting. You know, like. Right. I mean, they could have something that could uh, they could manipulate Andrew's image. They may have something on Morgan that they could manipulate what he yeah, you know, presents exactly in publicly. Interesting. Uh, so, speaking of damsels in distress playing on the sympathies of people in the community, mm-hmm. Sarah calls Buzz and sounds terrified and broken, and that Noah is killing her, and that. Their son is 100% Noah's and just a whole bunch of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, how sincere do you think that was? I don't at all. Like, I think they're playing Buzz. Like, I think that phone call was a total play. And I know Buzz firmly believes, like, you know, those are real emotions and whatnot. But man, like, seeing the way Sarah was at the, I mean... I didn't see much of her, but like hearing the recounts, like she's from the Orange County meetup. No, from our meetup, from the focus. Oh, from the focus group. Okay. She's a manipulator. Oh yeah. Like, and I don't like Buzz is such a smart guy. Like, I don't know why he would go into defensive mode so quick. I mean, maybe it's because he's an insider now, so he has to, but that phone call screams like BS to me. It screams manipulation to me. Yeah, exactly. Because now you have a whole bunch of people feeling sorry for Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, and... And her family. Right. Because she mentions the kid. Yeah. 
Like, that's such manipulation. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't buy it. Um, but apparently Sarah thinks, or the theory is that Sarah's going to be killed by OSDM because Noah is going off on his own. But And she's apparently the wrangler, the one who's supposed to be keeping him in check. Right. Which she obviously isn't doing. And even in one of the private emails that got leaked, uh, you know, she had made this reference of spin this to your superiors. I believe she told uh, Tim that. Yeah. Like, spin this to your superiors so it looks like I'm in control. Like, maybe that was the beginning of the, the cracking of the, the armor around her. Like, she can't protect herself if she can't keep Noah in check. See, but here's the thing. Even if this is true, Tim is not going to let that happen because pretty sure that Sarah and Tim are lovers based on the leaked email. It seems like Like, I'm going to go with that assumption. Mm -hmm. And if he's high enough in rank where she's telling slash asking him to spin this in a way that will make her look good. Right. He's obviously in a position of power where he can help her. And that's a form of protecting her. And if she felt confident enough to ask him, it means he's got some power. Exactly. So I really doubt his booty call is going to get hurt because he won't let it happen unless it affects him somehow. And everything that you just said points to the idea that this was a complete attempt to manipulate Buzz. Yep. Don't fall for it, Buzz, dude. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, but he's an insider, man. It doesn't matter. But I'm just saying he's he's, already in. Look, look. Last hired, first fired. Buzz is a new hire. If he was been, if he, if he's part of that team, he's the new guy. Right. Which means everyone, if something goes wrong, everyone in the room is going to point to him. He's the fall guy. Yeah. And Sarah might be. This manipulation might be Sarah attempting to get him into that position where he could take the fall for her. That's true. I don't trust Sarah. Yeah, I don't know what to think yet. Okay. I have my I have my opinions of her, but you know, I don't know. Too much spin. Yeah. Too much spin. Because part of me admires that, but then there's part of me it's like, nah, no, you're just a crappy human being. <laughs> so, but there's another side to this coin, right? Of course. Because <laughs> after Buzz talks about his call on the forums, Noah calls Megan. And he said that Sarah was being a little dramatic. He said, thing, like, uh, the message seems like things are going down. He told Megan that he's not going to get rid of her yet, um, but he never said who he was and she didn't ask, but that she needed to be ready and help as soon as Noah reaches out. Um, he said he loves her in his own way and as much as he's able to and doesn't want bad things to happen to her, that their relationship has been strained and she made some choices, including choosing to stray but it was her form of self-preservation at the end of the day she chose to stay in the relationship and made her made her own bed but he still loves the little shit so yeah i mean sarah's an adult she makes her own choices Mm -hmm. i mean that's where we're at but here's a question for you mike the noah sinclair that has that website take what you want destroy all others the Noah Sinclair that we've seen out of control, the Noah Sinclair that seems to be struggling to maintain control. Does that message, does that phone conversation sound like the same guy? No, it see this. I feel like this is the version of manipulation to Megan. Yeah. Like this is the same type of phone call to Megan that Sarah, Sarah called buzz with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, 
hey, you know, things are, are okay, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like a sob story. Number one, I think Noah is wanting Megan to be a sympathizer to him. Right. And look, it's a, it's a, it's a guy manipulation tactic to go, you know, I treated this other woman really badly, but I'm not a bad guy. She made some decisions. I understand her point of view. I'm not a bad guy, right? Because even though she's really shitty to me, I see why she's shitty to me. Right. Which is a complete manipulation of Megan. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so there's a whole lot of manipulating going on. Yeah. And everyone's buying it, though, for the most part. That seems to be, the to me, a bit odd. But yes, I think everyone's buying it. See, that's why I'm, I like having these talks, because we can talk it out. And it's like, wait a minute. What's happening? <laughs> I, I don't know. The whole Megan thing, I, it, just, it just struck me as not the Noah we know. Right. I kept going back to that. Just, just like, this is, this is something different about this message. So, and then that same day... Stacy sent us emails saying that the pairing process has begun with iConfidant, and mm-hmm. we should expect to hear something from our new matches soon. Yeah, and did you hear something? Uh, I did. And I did too. I did the next day. Yeah. And it's really interesting reading people's accounts of their messages, because some people would just get a smiley face or a hello, or I got... Like, it, and I'm going that I'm going there because people are thinking, oh, it's a computer writing to you and, and right. whatnot. Mine seems like another person like my message it's not it doesn't seem computerized like it doesn't seem random it's it's very conversational see i didn't realize that i wrote something because i assumed it was a, a person writing me i now believe it might be a program of some kind oh really because of this mike i didn't know when i sent my response that i sent something confusing but this is what happened in my initial contact from my confidant. They asked a simple question. They asked the question, are you happy? And I went, oh my, that's a, that, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I said, you know, it depends on what you mean overall. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I wrote a little bit, I wasn't too verbose, but I wrote a little bit of a chatty like, oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. They wrote back. Like, oh, I didn't know questions could be large. Oh, wow. Which sounds like I confused a program because they asked me a yes or no question and I did not answer yes or no. Right. Which is a complete program thrower. Because it would have been programmed to say, okay, if he says yes, respond with this. If he says no, respond with this. I didn't answer yes or no to a yes or no question. You should ask, reply with, do you want to play a game? <laughs> thermonuclear global warfare <laughs> so wow nice reference um the uh so i i confused it by by saying you know that's a large question uh, and then it also it i i had used another word that it spit back at me which for personal reasons i'm not going to say what it is but uh they they went oh i feel the same as you sometimes hmm. that's what they wrote back so I obviously threw it for a loop. Now, I wrote a response back saying, oh, um, I think I might have confused you. And I said a few other things. So I'm really curious. I have not gotten a response yet. So I'm really curious as to see where this leads. 
Yeah, and I don't if we're dealing with AI and computer programs, then I feel like mine is a more advanced one because mine is sounds like a regular conversation. So mine started off and it said, Hey there, Mike F. How is life treating you today? What made you want to try out iConfidant? Sorry, already bombarding you with questions, huh? I have never done anything like this before. So I guess I'm learning how to, how to do go about talking to my match, LOL. Wow. Yeah. And then that's astounding compared to what I got. And then I replied, um, and like about, I said, life is fun and why, why I went back and I, I said how I had doubts in the matchmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I had mentioned that in the, in the other, po- in the last podcast right? because I have amazing friends and I responded to that and they wrote back like a, like a person, like, you know, because they said, haha, I feel you. I hate being stuck in traffic. So it's not too horrible. Then it counts as a good day. Smiley face. And ha, that is very funny because I don't believe in matchmaking either. And if I am being quite honest with you, a part of me basically joined this test just to be able to maybe prove them wrong. But there's definitely a part in me that wants to trust this and wants the, this algorithm to be right. I mean, what's the, worst, hmm. what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Best thing would be that I gain a super close friend. And I'm not going to say no to that if it happens. Algorithm. Yeah. But I mean, that's standard. Like that's, I, I, like I'm not focusing on that because that's how these sites work. Well, I'm focusing on this because the algorithm might be part of the program in my situation. Dude, I'm, I'm actually a little jealous of your match. (laughs) Are you serious? Do you want me to just email you from like a random, like I'll make up a new email if that's what you want. But here's the thing, like, it's so funny reading these messages because it feels like the early days of the internet and chat rooms. Yes. Because, you know, hey, how are you? Who, like, what's your name? You know, all these basic questions. And it's like, oh, it's like we're going back in time. Yeah, but you got so much more than that. Yeah. And also, um, there has been some chatter on the forums about numbers. Yeah, because my, I came... With, or my eye confident my subject line was mike f and then it had a four digit number and people were theorizing if those numbers had anything to do with you personally and i think mine definitely did because it was six 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 one somehow i'm not surprised <laughs> yeah uh i did not get a number hmm. so and there were a few people who mentioned on the forums that they didn't get number but almost everyone got some number right but my subject line was high but here's where what I'm thinking. We had the iConfidant phone calls with people a couple weeks ago. Right. And it turns out the last question they got asked was about like basically password set or right. password uh, resetting. Mm-hmm. Four digit codes are usually PIN numbers. True. So it makes me wonder if these are our personal PIN numbers for something. Interesting. Well, I hope I don't have to figure out a number at some point. I'm <laughs> so bad at that. One, two, three, four. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was a little surprised because when I started reading the thing about numbers, because I actually went back and checked the email. I was like, nope. Yeah, and also on Facebook that day, they said registration 5-1, 12 to 7, and then they had a zip code for downtown LA. So there's going to be a seven-hour long registration process apparently on may 1st but no references to registration for what 
right? Who knows? This is just like last year with tension, like four one registration begins. I have a feeling it's going to be some sort of interview process or instead of a questionnaire or maybe even a questionnaire. Right. But there's going to be people there. Yeah. And it's, there's, it's on a Monday, so it's on a business day, a work day. So, you know, they're obviously they have to realize that not everyone's going to be able to make it. Right. So it'll be interesting. I don't know yet if I can make it actually. So I will do, I will try, but right. I'm not sure. Something else happened that day. Yes. I had pie with Otis. <laughs> well, Melissa, Mike Rizzo and myself had pie with Otis. Yeah. How'd that go? It was awesome. He like, seemed like a very nice guy because you periscoped a, a little bit. Yeah. And, and I was really happy because I was the only person that was able to meet him so far. So I'm glad I was able to put some personality into a Facebook profile mm-hmm. um, because so many people love him like yeah. right now you know so it was really and like this periscope made all of us love him even more yeah which makes me sad because that can only mean one thing is like he is going to ruin us somehow <laughs> <laughs> i am still hoping i just like as my friend mike i hope he becomes your mentor <laughs> i don't know for what but <laughs> um but yeah so this was a long time in the making actually because mm-hmm. he's reached out a couple times and was like hey we should get together for coffee and the schedules just didn't match up uh so finally my schedule was was clear and i was able to meet him and uh he wrote to me saying that he like there's so many people that want to meet him and that if if i wanted to i could ask a couple people to come along and a couple of weeks ago, Rizzo actually hit me up because I guess Otis said, hey, Mike and I are going to meet for coffee. You should come. And I, and I guess he did the same thing to Melissa at one point. So cool. that's why I said, you know, hey, Rizzo and Melissa, come like come do this. Uh, so we went. We went to House of Pies in Los Feliz. And we were just Which talking. awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Otis was learning more about Melissa and Rizzo. Like, you know, what do they do for work and you know, mm-hmm. school and stuff. And then. We started talking and he brought up the, the woman he met, which is when we first met, he's like, I met this girl, which is the whole reason I created the Facebook profile for him. Right. And the woman that he met is confirmed is named Janice. And at when he started talking about her, we found out that he had her phone number. And so... Right then and there, I was like, Otis, you can do this. Call her for a date. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, we were just being his wingman, you know, and wingwoman. And we're like, do it. You can do this. And he was shy. And it's like, well, what if she says no? And I was like, look, you're never going to know unless you ask. Mm -hmm. You know, you're never going to have an answer. And you'll be living, wondering for the rest of your life if you don't do it. And so he called her, like, right in front of us. And she didn't pick up, so he left her a message. And then uh, later that night on Facebook, he made a Facebook update that said, this old guy has got a date. So she said yes to to his question of going out with him. So I'm so, so excited for him. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, so that's going to be exciting. I can't wait to hear about about this. How much much time did you spend with Otis by just... Like an hour. Oh, really? It It was like, okay, you know, like this is going to sound weird because... We all know that this is not real life. You mm-hmm. know, there's a, there, there's a certain, like, belief you have to have to continue with this. Right. This meeting blurred that line so much because it was real. 
we were just eating pie with this nice older man. You know, there was no like, we weren't thinking about like plot points. We weren't thinking about moving the story forward. We weren't thinking about anything except enjoying each other's company. That's very like, cool. You talk about being present, like we were being present. You know, nothing else mattered except this conversation because we were so enthralled with him and everything he was saying that it was real life. And it was incredible. That's awesome. Now, with that being said, as soon as he left, we did the, that kind of like cartoon head shake. I was like, okay, how does he fit into everything? And we started <laughs> theorizing with, with everything going on. But like for that hour that we were there with him, like it was just friends hanging out. That's very cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool experience. So then a couple of days after our meeting with Otis, uh, Megan posted that she got a call from Noah and he said to be in a certain location at a certain time and he did a dead drop for her. So he left a package for her somewhere. She got the package and inside was a disguise and inside there was a note that said, let's get weird. Like smooches <laughs> N or something like that. Okay, which, all right, you know I, I'm not that fond of the Sinclairs, but that brought a f- smile to my face. I thought, okay, that that's actually kind of funny, Noah. Yeah, <laughs> that that's kind of cool. So, <laughs> Megan said she didn't want to tell us what was inside the box, like specifically because she said it was a form of of a disguise. Yeah. So that will probably come into play later, and the less people that know about this, the better. Yeah, and, and uh, we should mention that Megan apparently did her first Periscope for this. Right. Congratulations, Megan. <laughs> but not a congratulations on your connection. So, Oh, yeah, that was that was pretty bad. We had to watch it in replay. Yeah. I think lots, lots of us had to watch it in replay. Yeah, it's not your fault, Megan. Yeah, but Megan, thank you so much for doing that. And you're right, Mike, this is one of those weird things where, you know, we, we've, we've talked before about, like, how much you share, especially if a character tells you not to share but you're supposed to share and there we've been told never be silent so but i think this was really i think she handled this perfectly yeah it makes sense because she still got the story point out like she she wasn't hiding anything yeah like even though she didn't share what was in the box she shared what was in the box if that makes sense right and i think it makes complete sense that you know you don't want to give all of those details because you know, what if the next plot point, you know, whatever happens, she has to be in whatever that disguise is, whatever is in the box. Maybe certain people shouldn't know what is right. in the box. Exactly. So, but the fact that she shared, I think is key and is important. Yeah. And here's my theory about what's in that box. Yes. A black wig. And I say that because of the let's get weird. What if he's trying to make her look like Sarah? <laughs> you <laughs> what no think about that's it so you <laughs> no i don't even i don't even mean it in a sexual way oh Here, that's exactly where i went when you said oh, that of course you did because you're russell <laughs> um but what so here's the thing the sinclairs are the sinclairs are in this company together they're meant to be seen together true sarah is in noah are splitsville for the most part like true. you know that's an assumption i'm going forward with okay so what if he has to go places with Sarah? It would make sense to have another girl. Wow. You know, if these people don't know what Sarah looks like, he can just show up with a girl in a black wig saying, yeah, this is Sarah. 
and have his arm around her or whatever, you know, like that's not like, like whether it be like some sort of OSDM gathering or he has to answer to the board or, you know, something like that. Like he has someone that can be Sarah, even though Sarah is gone. So he's looking for a strong, powerful woman who can step into the role of strong, powerful woman. Right. Why didn't he pick you? Oh, damn ah, you. <laughs> got jokes. <laughs> that That's interesting. So, Russell, then we went to registration. Yes, we did. And thank goodness they released more tickets because we were too busy being present when tickets first went up. <laughs> yeah, we were. And luckily they released some the day of. And yeah, I, I missed the first round completely. Yeah, because we were out doing an escape room meetup. So we got tickets and you went, you were in the time slot right before me, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. And I saw you walk out and it was so typical Russell. What? What do you mean? <laughs> because you walked out and I don't know if you realize what you did, but you walked out and you just put your hand over your face and like just in that kind of what the hell just happened kind of way. Really? And you walked <laughs> and then I saw you, I saw you because usually whenever you do an experience, you always try to do a voice memo of what just happened. Yeah. So you I, can remember. I, I usually try to like make, take notes or do something like that. Yeah. So you walk out of the door you have your hand on your face and you're like rubbing it. And then all of a sudden you just walk down the street with your phone up to your, to your mouth. Yeah. And I like quickly said, I, this just happened. Uh, try to remember this for later. Yeah. And I saw that and that kind of gave me hope because it's like, <laughs> Oh, this is going to be good because Russell has that face. My derp face. <laughs> and so what was your experience? Um, it's interesting because numerous people have gone on the forums and described their interactions. Uh, I arrived um, almost exactly on time. And there were a couple of people standing out and I wasn't sure who was in my group, who was coming out, etc. And then somebody in that group pointed out and said, oh, I think your group is already inside the parking lot. Because it's a basically a warehouse sort of building with a parking lot um, and a metal gate, which was open. And what I didn't realize is that my group had already walked in and was standing in the shade because it was a really hot, oh, sunny okay. day. And they're like, oh, your group is already in there. So I, you know, moved over into the parking lot and, you know, uh, my, my group was standing there. So my group uh, at that, you know, as we were forming, LaSalle was there, Tuan, uh, Cody, Clay, me. And as we were standing there, I just like, like getting to like say hello, uh, a woman came out who I believe later we learned her name was Tina, the real estate person. And she was on the phone and I had one of those moments where we were just chatting and then it dawned on me and I said to the other guys, are we supposed to be overhearing something right now? <laughs> nothing is random. Yeah, exactly. Nothing is random. So, um, and sure enough, we were all like, uh, oh, uh, and we kind of cried it down. And the first thing we heard Tina say was like, no, it's not perfect. It needs drains and it needs to be soundproof, apparently. And <laughs> we were all looking at each other like, like drains and soundproof. Oh, crap. Kill so, room. Yeah, a kill room. That's exactly where all of us went mentally. So, uh, so that was interesting. And then Stephanie, uh, who we know is one of the handlers from Ascension, or most people do. I never really interacted a lot with the handlers during Ascension. 
But um, and starring in The Dark Arts, a play by Larry Myers, member of the community, premiering at Fringe Festival. Links in the show notes. She came out and kind of ushered us in, and it was so hot that day, Mike. And I had I was I parked on the roof of a parking structure nearby, so I'd been in the sun for quite a while. So I walked in, and she said, and she there was a merchandise table inside, right? So she was talking to the other people about the merchandise, and she had referenced a bathroom. And so what I did is I stepped into the bathroom and tried to, the, the faucet didn't work very well. I was going to splash water on my face. And, you know, like literally it was like, I was that hot. So, and I came out and I, and I couldn't figure out, come to find out that one of the faucets didn't work. Um, but I, I stepped out. So I was a little bit behind everyone. So everyone else was looking at, there was a cat and I guess other people were doing that. And, and I, and I heard her say there is merchandise available and then I didn't get a chance to do anything. Stephanie immediately came over to me like, you, we're going to start with you. You're first. And I want you to come and talk to this lovely young lady or something like that. And I, I, um, I walked up and there was a woman who I was told her name was Nicole. And she was looking at herself and primping on her phone. And I was told that I was going to like sit down and have a conversation with her. Here's the weird thing, Mike, that I think affected my visit with Nicole. Um, there was lots of talk in the forum about the behaviors of the people in this room. And as this unfolds, uh, each of us sat down with a different person and had sort of an interview. And I know yours was very different than mine. Oh yeah. So I sat down with Nicole and Actually, that's what I didn't do. I didn't sit down. Okay. I waited for Nicole to finish primping on her phone. And I said, I was told I'm going to have a conversation with you. And she said, yes. And I said, may I have a seat? And she said, absolutely. And then I sat down and we started chatting, et cetera. And um, she asked me my name and there were a couple comments made. And I said, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I didn't catch your name. And she stuck her hand out and she said, oh, I'm Nicole. So what I did is I pushed my chair back and I stood up to shake her hand. Such a gentleman. Funny. That's exactly what she said. That's what she said. No. (laughs) No. Oh, come on. Give that to me. No. (laughs) Come on. That's what she said. Oh, God. I always walk into those. Um, anyway, damn you. Um, here's the thing. My whole conversation with her was on a level of, there was a little bit of a flirtatious vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But what I found out later, uh, a few of us met at a bar later. Um, you showed up after uh, some time as well. And we were we were talking about the various interviews. And that's where I learned that other people talked finances other people talked whatever but my conversation with nicole somebody walked up to me and went oh my god how sexual was she i said what are you talking about and actually it was buzz and she's like wait she didn't like did she play footsie with you did she spread her legs and push forward did she like and like i was like what are you talking about (laughs) and buzz said like she was completely sexual. Everyone else who talked to Nicole, she was overtly sexual. Hmm. 
I didn't get that side of Nicole. I won't make the obvious joke as to why, but... Thank you for not making the obvious joke. Um, But I think it's that whole beginning that I did by choice. I stood up. I didn't sit down until she asked me to sit down. And she made a very specific comment about like, oh, you're a gentleman. I think that literally changed the sequence for me. Hmm. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, there could be so many different reasons as to why. Yeah, but I but I was stunned when people like and, and a couple of the other guys at the bar said the same thing like oh yeah she was completely like I think Drew said that they they were discussing kinks you know and what I did is if she only knew <laughs> hey hey sh- those are secrets um, yeah like sh- there were a couple of questions like that in my conversation with her but they were not the focus and it sounds like they were the focus with some of the other guys so. Um, I sat down and had this conversation and she took the tact with me of why are you doing this? Why are you here? And I said, well, I'm looking for more information and this event didn't seem to be tied to any of the other things we've heard mentioned. And what I meant was either Sinclair Inc or iConfidant or, you know, and she's, oh, and so like, why? Like, are you bored? Like what's lacking in your life? She took that tactic with me of like, what am I trying to get out of this experience? And I think that does coincide with some of the other questions from other people were asked of why are you participating? Like, what did you get out of last year by participating in the tension experience? It was, it was an information gathering sort of experience. So I I found it a little interesting that, that, that just the tactic was different for me. And she did ask me, like if I was seeing someone and that sort of opened the door to, um, I, I told her I wasn't. And, uh, you know, she kind of went, started to go down the path of what are you into, which I know other guys got a more overt version of that. And I just said, I don't know you well enough to reveal those kind of secrets. And she was like, Oh, so you're hiding something. And I said, we're all hiding something. It's like, but I have to know you better for you to get that information. And she's like, and she kind of moved on. And I, I, under my breath, I kind of like, we all have our kinks. And I don't even think she heard me say it. So she didn't react to it. And I really found interesting later that she did have a very specific conversation with other people about kinks. Hmm. During this, the, the weird interaction, which I, I want to ask you for your group, did you see anyone else getting their picture taken? I did not. Okay, I've, I, this was really weird for me in the fact that in the middle of the conversation with Nicole, uh, I believe it was Tina, walked over, and, and as she was walking up behind me, I kind of heard the footsteps, and I heard, Russell, I need to take your picture. And she moved around behind Nicole, and she started to direct me, because I looked up at her because she was taking my picture, right? And she, she had asked permission. And I said, yes, if you need a picture of me for some reason, okay, I'm here. And she said, no, 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 look at her. And she made sure that I was being, it, I think she wanted a picture of me casually. Okay. Like I was unaware that my picture was being taken. Almost like a stock photo type thing. Yeah, it, it was kind of an odd moment where she said, no, no, don't look at me. Look at Nicole. And so I looked down at Nicole, and I think she grabbed a picture at some point during that. 
Um, but what Nicole did is Nicole immediately went, oh, there's a picture being taken. So Nicole stands up and moves to my side and tries to hog in on the picture that sh- Tina was taking of me. Tina was not happy. So I don't know why they wanted a picture of me. And to me, it's like, look, I, I always think that there are variations that run through the day. The only thing that kind of concerns me is I have not heard anyone else say that they specifically had their picture taken that way. They want a gentleman to be the face of the lust experience. You're going to be their marketing, I bet. No, they'd go with someone younger and prettier than me. It depends what they're they're trying to convey. I don't know. But I there's I, there's always ways to spin it. Yeah, I, I just I will I, I I just of all the things that happened during registration, that one moment really kind of, there's a couple of other things, but that one moment really just kind of like, I I don't get it. And and it's, it's, it's mildly disturbing to me because I, I literally can't figure it out. I can't make logic of it. Yeah. That's weird. So, and the fact that nobody else apparently had that moment where Tina went over and like, I need a picture of you and then tried to stage it as if she wasn't deliberately interrupting to get my picture. So like, I don't know what the agenda was, but it kind of bothers me. Or maybe it could be something that because you were a gentleman, she's using that as something against Nicole. Because maybe Nicole's like, oh, every, every guy is like sexual towards me, blah, blah, blah. And because you weren't, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's something. Okay. And let's let, all right. It's interesting that you say that because I'm going to make a, <laughs> I'm going to comment on another person's appearance. I was dressed really casually, like you know, I I did not dress up for this. Uh, later on, you saw Drew, right? Yeah. Okay, Drew got a really sexual conversation. Apparently, Drew was dressed up. Drew looked good. He was wearing the vest, and you know, like like he he looked spiffy. So it looks like he could have money. Maybe. You know, and I and I kind of just just dressed casually because it was such a hot day, and you know, just jeans and a shirt, and which means you probably don't have money. Maybe. Hmm. I didn't go there, but that's an interesting thought. Yeah, especially because other people said she's the daughter of an investor. Yeah. So she's probably lived her whole life being a being within money and people that have money, so she can like maybe spot it and it's like, oh. I'm going to go after him. Yeah. And it is. I, and later when we were comparing notes, I, I you know, drew, I noticed was dressed really nicely. And Buzz was in a suit as oh, well. That's true. That is true. So, and she tried to kind of blackmail him in a way. Hmm. By saying he was like staring at her chest and was trying to do sexual things to him, to her. Yeah, it's like she did she did accuse him of looking at her breasts when when of course, you know, and look, hey, I, you well, know, we joke about Buzz. I consider Buzz a gentleman. I I put faith in Buzz's word that he very deliberately didn't look at her chest. Right. <laughs> Cuz Buzz is a gentleman in my opinion. And he has a girlfriend that would probably kill him. That's right. So. <laughs> <laughs> um we're making judgments on your relationship, Buzz. Um so all right, let's. God, you've touched on so many little weird little points. I didn't get the story that Nicole's father was wealthy or an investor. The comment that I got about money 
was that she was unhappy with the location. And that was a common theme through many of the interviews. Uh, apparently, numerous people expressed displeasure with where they were located. Maybe because there were no drains and it wasn't soundproof. I don't know. But she got really vulgar in a way with me of, you know, I wish I were running this show. If I were running this show and she said, trust me, I have enough money that I could run this show. Hmm. And if I was in charge, we wouldn't be in this hellhole that smells like dirty pussy. Which, because I hadn't noticed the cat in the room. (laughs) I hope this is going where I think it's going. It's going exactly where you think it's going. I hadn't noticed the cat in the room. So at that point, I think my jaw dropped because I was like, what did you just say? Like, I, I just was stunned that she, like, what, did she just say dirty pussy? No, it would have been amazing if you said, it's like, well, maybe if y'all wore pants, it wouldn't. <sighs> so, and then she said, it's like, this whole place smells like pussy piss. <laughs> and I was like, pussy piss. And then I was like, cat piss? Yeah, I was like, but I went there because I didn't know there was a cat in the room. She sounds like a female Noah. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But the comment to me was not about her dad was an investor or her dad was wealthy or that she came from money, but that she had a lot of money. So, And she was all about fashion and appearance for me because, you know, she talked about wanting to redo her wardrobe, which I think she also covered with a couple of other people. She had this weird conversation with me about possessions. Like, she... Wanted to redo her wardrobe, but it would. She wasn't going to donate her clothes to charity or anything because it would. If she saw somebody else wearing something that she had once owned, she would kill them. And I, and I think I looked shocked because she said, "What does that surprise you?" And I said, "Well, it's like it would bother you that somebody could get use or pleasure out of something that you no longer need." And she emphasized, "Like, no. If I saw somebody wearing something that I once owned, I would kill them." And she made a point of like, "Do you believe me? I would kill them." And I thought there was a viciousness to that that was so out of context with we're talking about clothing. That's when you try to find a shirt or something of hers and wear it to the next event. <laughs> so she's more petite than I. I wouldn't fit. So, um, but, you know, and I will say she was she was wearing a very attractive um, short black dress. You know, um, she was she looked very good. So. I, I think you're right. The whole, you know, she she was dressed like she came from money. Maybe maybe that was part of the theme. Maybe that was what I didn't pick up on. So, um, but as our conversation went on, I started to really not enjoy the conversation because I didn't like Nicole. I thought she was shallow. I thought she was selfish. The whole wardrobe conversation. Um, uh, she, you know, accused me of having an empty life, basically. Like, that's why I'm participating in this is because I'm obviously lacking something. And when I said that I didn't, I wasn't seeing something, I think she judged me based on that. Seeing something? Seeing someone. <laughs> seeing someone. I wasn't seeing someone. Um, so I just got this, like, really judgmental vibe from her, and I started judging her back. And at one point, I actually said to her, I said, you know what? Like I'm, I'm really being judgmental toward you right now, and I apologize. But you know, I, I don't. I think we're not getting off on on the on a good foot here. I, I, I just, 
and she said, but you don't even know me. I said, yeah, and you don't know me. You know, we, we, we traded a couple of, of moments like that. During some of this, a piece of paper came out. And she slid it across the table. And she sort of said, are, so are you interested in this? Meaning the lust experience, I felt. And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, well, I need you to sign that. And the statement on the paper, there was literally one sentence and a blank line. And the sentence was along the lines of, I agree to completely submit to the lust experience. So I looked at it and I didn't sign it. And I looked at her and I went, uh, am I allowed to ask a question about this? And she was like, go, whatever, go ahead. And I just pointed to the word submit and she did this very evasive shoulder shruggy sort of that could mean a lot of things so i don't know i i really didn't want to sign and then i made the decision that i would put my my name on the paper and i decided to to sign it and it was just a matter of like you know what I don't know how I feel about this. So I looked at her and I, I pushed the paper back and I said, you know what? I signed that, but I don't feel it. And she really didn't, I don't think had any kind of a comeback to that. Mm -hmm. So, but she picked up the paper and she called Tina over and, um, she said, she looked at me and said, I am feeling so lazy right now. And she's like, Tina, 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 would you escort Russell? And she, with a wave of her hand, apparently Tina was supposed to take me someplace else. And Tina led me across the room to an area where several other people had gone through interviews, which lasted fairly shortly uh, from what I could tell, because they were done before me, even though I was the first one who started. Um, And they were sitting on a bench waiting for something. So I joined them. And that was sort of like the first half of my my registration. So, how did it begin for you? Um, mine began the way your second half began. Yeah, you went into a room that I I had to wait a few minutes to get into that area, but you started there. Yeah, so we were outside, and our five o'clock group plus Larry because he was late to his four thirty, I guess. Larry, which is pretty funny especially since he went to the door and stephanie told him no you can't come in but he was able to get into the five o'clock and the time came and she opened the door looked right at me and said michael fontaine come here and i was like oh crap (laughs) (laughs) that was my first thought and she brings me inside and she says hello and gives me a hug and you mentioned how hot it was she apologized for the sweaty hug (laughs) And she was just saying how she's, she seemed really, really super stressed. Yeah, she did. And, um, so there was just like a little bit of, of small talk. Um, some people said that, that she talked about merch to them. That didn't happen with me. I did see the merch table and it didn't make sense until later. Um, but she took me to around where that seating is that Mm -hmm. you just mentioned and said, uh, okay, go go through that door. I was like, okay. So I go through that door and it's another room and it's dark. And there's <laughs> there's a red lamp in there. 
Now, mind you, I just came from outside. Yeah. So going from a bright, sunny day to a dark, lit room, I could not see anything except a red lamp or a, a red light in the corner. So there was apparently a man in there that came up to me. <laughs> And he came up very, very close, like nose to nose. And he had an accent. Some people say Russian. Some people say Bulgarian. Um, he's just a man with an accent, just so we don't <laughs> right. get it wrong. Um, he asked me if I knew who he was, and I said no. And it seemed like it was half shock, half, you know, when people do that thing where it's like, huh. Like that kind of thing where it's like, huh, yeah. All right, I'm going to jump ahead for just a second. I had the same moment with this guy later. Okay. And he, I, I had the exact same exchange with him. And when I said no, he just studied me. And I, I couldn't detect, because again, my eyes were adjusting as well. Um, I had glasses on that, that adjust and obviously the warehouse was there was sun coming in so it was very bright so my glasses were still dark because of the brightness of the room outside so literally i couldn't see anything either and and he asked me to sit down and i remember putting my hands out and like feeling oh i did the exact same thing <laughs> I was like i think there's something over here to sit on i felt like a fool oh yeah me but too. He, he did the same thing with me and and he just I couldn't tell if it was a smirk. I couldn't read his expression when I said I didn't know who he was. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. And so it same thing happened. He asked me to sit and I did my best <laughs> impersonation of trying to find a place to sit. Uh, I was feeling out and there was a couch uh, in front of and in back of him in front of me. And we sat down and he asked me if I knew why he was here. And again, I said, no. And he told me that he's here to fix this. And at that point, I, I thought I was like, oh, Marcos, uh, based on the phone call that right. happened. And and there was no expression. So I guess it wasn't him. And and then he, he said, I'm here to fix this. And you, I want you to help me. And I said, OK. Um, and that was the basis of the conversation. It was very, very short. One thing I did notice, and, and this is, this is where you have to think for yourself that line between should you do something or should you not and use common sense. There was a phone on that table that I saw towards the end once my eyes adjusted, but it didn't look like something I should take. But at the same time, I wanted to grab it just in case, but I figured it was actually his phone. I did not notice a phone when I was in that room. That's interesting. Yeah. So I don't know if, you know, maybe like he just put it on the table because it was face down hmm. and it, it looked like, like a, like a, a smartphone, not hmm. like a flip phone or anything right. like that. So I think that's why another reason I didn't, because when people have gotten phones, they've been more like flip phones. Right. Um, but I did, I just didn't want a missed opportunities meme like Brian got. So <laughs> <laughs> it was like, whatever. Um, but yeah, so after that we stood up and I went to the interview and the interview was with 
and there's some back and forth on this person's name. It might be Marcus. It might be Marco. It might be Marcos. Like, okay. we're, we're kind of unsure exactly. All right, wait. How was he dressed? He was wearing a blue, a blue suit, blue shirt, uh, and he was second from the left. Ah, okay. It All was right. a very interesting conversation because I initially, once he started talking to me, I, my first thought was, this is another focus group, except it's one-on-one. Right. Because he started asking me about the tension experience. What merch did I buy? Did I buy it in person? Did I buy it online? And would I buy anything else? Was there anything I didn't or wasn't able to purchase that I would still want to get? And then when I mentioned that I had bought a poster, he asked more questions about that, which I thought was very, very interesting. Like, like what do you mean? It was like, where is it hanging in your house? What do people see when they come in and see that? What, you know, things like that. And like, what do you tell them that poster represents? What do you tell people the tension experience was? And then I forget exactly how, but somehow we got onto my parents and what? Yeah. Because he asked me if I told my parents about it and I told them, I'm like, well, I told them some of it. You know, my mom actually thought I was in trouble with, a real cult, even <laughs> though I told her time and time again that it was just, you know, it was just a theater piece. And I told him that there's some things that my mom doesn't need to know. Right. And it's not going to affect her life. It's something that happens to me and she would just worry more probably. And then he asked me an interesting question. If I ever saw anything unethical in the tension experience. And my, how did you answer that? Well, if you let me keep talking, I would tell you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody. No. Um, but I told him, I was like, me personally, I did not find anything unethical in my personal opinion. But there were things that happened that people could have seen as unethical. And he's like, well, give me an example. I was like, well, I was told to get naked and got in a bathtub with a dead girl and had blood poured on me. And he's like, you don't think that's unethical? I'm like, no, that was the greatest thing that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, interesting. Did you tell your mom about that? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, why not? Why wouldn't you tell your mom and dad about that? And, and I told him, like, you know, like, telling your mom you got naked in a bathtub with a dead girl isn't something a mother wants to hear. You know, it's not going to be, oh, honey, I'm so proud of you. You finally <laughs> fulfilled your dream of being in in a bathtub with a dead girl and having blood poured on you. And so we had a little back and forth about that. And why wouldn't I tell them? And then he asked me if I would do it again, even though people thought it was unethical. And I told him like, of course I would in a second. And he's like, really? Why? It's like, because that's one of the greatest moments in my theater history or my haunt history that's happened to me. So of course I would do it again. And he's like, and would you tell your mom about it if it happened again? And I was like, probably not. And then we had a little bit more conversation about that. And then also he, he was asked me marketing ideas on how to, how to market lust better. So I gave him a bunch of ideas like about what, what we should do with merch and, and social outreach and using social media and doing grassroots marketing type things. And then I, I think at that point, Tina came over with a laptop or he called Tina over and he told me he was going to show me some pictures of locations. 
and he wanted me to give my opinion on which one looks the coolest. And the weird thing is he, he had to, he wanted to clarify himself about what coolest meant. And he's like, I don't mean temperature. I just mean, you know, hip, cool, like that kind of thing. And I'm like, I know what you meant, but he did. Okay. I'm just going to say, do you, did he strike you as being someone who is uncool? Is that why he, I I don't think so. Oh, okay. He seemed pretty, pretty cool, but he would go through the pictures and and I chose two places and he's like, okay, out of these two places, which one? And I chose one and he looked at Tina and Tina looked at him and she said, that one's 3.5 million. And he looked at me with a half smirk and was like, you have expensive taste. And it's like, thank you. I think, (laughs) (laughs) um, and then while Tina was walking away, he was mentioning to me that he was getting hungry. So he asked Tina, is like, hey, can you get me a, a sandwich? You know, and and I don't remember exactly what she said or if she even said anything, but there was a little bit of hesitation, I guess. And so he got pissed. Like it's like, I'm about to make you very wealthy. The least you could do is get me an effing sandwich. And so she submit and like walked away and, and Oh, submit. Ooh. <laughs> um, sounds like she signed the form too. Uh, and so she went away to to get a sandwich. She didn't come back. Um, I had left before that, but then he started talking to me about, about that. He's like, is it too hard to get a Cuban finger sandwich? Like, I'm a hungry. I've been here all day. That's the least they can do. And I mistakenly said something about, yeah, I heard there's a lot of things happening with Cuba recently. Like a lot of people are traveling there in my mind because like Cuba, oh, it's like crap, it's Colombia. That's where the investors were from. Uh. And I made that mistake and I and I corrected myself like, "Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. It's it's Colombia I'm thinking of, not Cuba." And and he in return was like, "Well, yeah, it must be really tough cuz those both those words start with C." And I was like, "Oh, you dick." But that's so funny because that's <laughs> something I would say. <laughs> and then we got on a conversation based on that about how I almost went to Cuba and how I was supposed to be going this month. Mm-hmm. And it all started to be and he's like, "Wait, what? Why?" And then I started telling him about the ghost hunts I went on and the ghost tours, how I went to Romania. And he's like, "You went to Romania, like Eastern Europe? Would you go Transylvania?" And I was like, "Yes, it was a Dracula tour we went on." And we and he's like, "Oh, you went to his castle?" I'm like, "Yeah, we went to his castle." And and I started getting all excited because we were talking about Dracula, and and we never got back to the to the Cuba part, but we started talking about ghost hunting, and. He's like, well, wait, what? Like, you, the ghosts talk to you? Why don't they just call you? And, like, it was kind of, like, over-the-top obnoxious. Like, you could tell he didn't believe in that kind of thing. Right. And I started telling him about how there's the theory works for EVPs and how go- and ghosts and spirits can communicate based on recording. He's like, well, if they're recording, why can't they just call you? Why can't they just tweet you and use Twitter? And I was like, it's not how it works. And and we started talking more about that and he's like well i don't i don't get it like why wouldn't they just do that and it's like well one theory is they don't have enough energy to do that but they have enough energy to modify those waves and blah 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 and and i gave him an example of like yeah that's happened to me i was alone in a room recording and i asked if anyone was there and i heard a hello on the recording afterwards and he's just like 
So you were alone in the room and no one was else was there who like, who could have said that? Well, could it have been someone from outside? And I was like, probably not since we were in the middle of nowhere and I was alone there, you know? And so it was just really cool to get onto not an argument, but <laughs> a discussion on EVPs and ghost hunting with this guy who was asking me marketing ideas about lust and is a non-believer shall we say it yeah, sounds like <laughs> that's what it sounds like but yeah so and after that um i got up and stephanie walked me out and right before she pushed me out the door she whispered in my ear like mike they're all fucked and that hmm. was it but it's like who are they is it us is it the investors? Like, I think in is, that is it Clinton Darren? Like, who? I think in that environment, she would re she would be referring to the people in the room, right? The interviewers. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I want to go back to something that you just said because I witnessed something similar. Apparently, um, I, oh, I hope I have this right. I think it was Lasalle in my group who got the question about the locations. And she must have picked the same location because I heard the 3.5 million comment made. And at the very end of my exchange with Nicole, there was a little bit of a, 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 of a myth, it sounds like, between the two of them. So at the end of my visit with Nicole, as Tina was about to like escort me away, it's like I heard that going on and... I don't know. There was something in me that I wanted to make up, I guess, for the fact that I I really didn't enjoy the conversation with Nicole. Um, and so as I stood up, and here's the thing which struck me as funny later is I looked at her and I said, you said you were going to change your wardrobe. Can I offer one comment? And she said, oh, absolutely, absolutely, because it was all about her. So she was a little bit excited. I said, you're really rocking the LBD, which do you know what that means? Some guys don't. No. You're really rocking the little black dress. Oh. Most, I think all women know that. <laughs> I know a lot of guys make reference to LBD action. That you've never, sounds you've like You've never something. heard that term. No, I don't watch Sex in the City, no. Russell. <laughs> It's not a Sex in the City reference. As Are you far sure? Because it sounds like it. Um, no, but LBD stands for little black dress, and 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 you know she, you know, and and it's you know the little black dress is a standard sexy outfit for women. So I made that comment to her, and she really lit up, and she seemed like I, I think she like looked at the guy who was interviewing you, and sort of gave this smug look for just a millisecond of like, he gets me. You know, I think I, I don't I don't know how, totally how that exchange went down, but it but it was like it was like, okay, I think I bought a few points with that comment somehow. Right. Oh, uh, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but go. going back to the marketing part, like yeah. I totally forgot to mention this part. You know how we always go into these events, and usually it's don't use your phone, don't do anything like that. Right. I had my phone with me. Uh, I think all of us did because we weren't told to keep them in our cars or anything like that. Mm -hmm. One of the questions he asked me is if we did anything to help promote tension. And I told him, yes, like we got together and we would, we would flyer and, you know, some people made flyers. I know like Debbie and I went and put a, 
a recruitment flyer in in LA and he's like really and he's like you that was 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 that provided by tension it's like no like she made that and he's like really so you made a, a flyer and then went flyering downtown and put it on like lampposts and stuff and it's like yeah he's like do you have a picture of it and I was yeah I did it because it was on my phone oh. and he's like I'm like is it okay to take my phone out and show you he's like yeah I want to see it and so I took my phone out got the picture up and showed him and he was like just like looking at it and it was it was really interesting to me because I think I've said this before to you it's like whenever we're in a situation part of me feels bad because I know they have to get through people so I try to hurry up and not take a lot of time mm-hmm this was taking up time and I was kind of feeling bad, but at the same time is like, this is really cool because they're not trying to just rush us through. They're mm-hmm. actually caring to hear about our opinions and want to see things that we had done. And that was just a cool touch. Well, that's interesting. Cause I, I felt the opposite from Nicole. I didn't, I oh. didn't feel rushed, but I felt I was scum to her. Hmm. That was just like the vibe I got. Right. She was totally interested in her hair more than she was me. So, but you know, um, but Hey, you know, that, that's, that's her. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but yeah, I wanted to point out that, you know, there was some connection between the interviewers, uh, you know, especially around the time that they were asking the marketing questions of there's a, there's a couple of things uh, at some point I didn't witness any of this, but apparently there was some like past lovers spat between Nicole and one of the other interviewers or anything. Do you know anything about that, Mike? No. Yeah. I think uh, some people cover that on the forums, but I didn't witness any really personal interaction between any of the interviewers. Did you? Mm-mm. Yeah. It's just, I think some people in other groups got that. I, I didn't witness any of that. And, um, so, so you, it sounds like you had a very brief scene with, uh, let's just call him the man with the accent. Yeah. Um, I'll go with your term. Um, here's a couple of things I noticed. I was led over to that bench to wait with people because we entered that room after our interviews, which was different than you. So I was waiting. They pulled one person in, they pulled another person in. There was a little bit of interaction going on. And here's the weird thing. And I literally forgot this, Mike, until yesterday when I, I looked at, I had, I had some handwritten notes. Like you said, I try to like jot notes to myself to remember things. I had totally forgotten this, that this, this, this one little tidbit of information. Did you notice that there was music playing? Um, I didn't actually. It, this is the weirdest thing. I don't think anyone's mentioned this on the forums that I've, I've seen, but uh, a couple of people had their phones out, like you said, and took pictures and posted them later from inside that event. My phone was completely off. I just turned it off completely. So I'm sitting on this bench, and we're noticing uh, LaSalle is sitting next to me, and she has her form that she signed. Or I don't. Re- I'm sorry. I, I can't say that definitively. I don't remember if she signed her form. But I had the form that I signed, and we noticed on the back of them that there were... I literally thought it was going to be like a Rorschach ch- test. Yeah. Because there were like blurry, splotted images on the back. And I expected Nicole to do something like that to me because I saw the stack of papers and I saw that on the back. I, I thought she was like, what do you see? Do you see a butterfly? You know, or do you see a cloud? What do you see when you, oh, I show you this image. But that wasn't it. And LaSalle and I looked at each other and, and w- we said, 
I wonder if you put all these together, if they would form something. Right. And so we compared our two sheets of paper. And then we noticed, um, and I think, wow, who was it? I think it was either Twan or Cody made reference to, oh, and did you notice that there's a number on the front? And I believe I was number 45, if I remember correctly. There was a the, uh, number in the like, lower corner of that form. We, that made no sense to us at the time. Mm-hmm. So, but we were, we, were, we were sitting there on the bench long enough that we were kind of comparing notes. And um, I noticed there was music playing, and the song that came on was <laughs> Paper Doll, which do you know this song? No. A very, very old song. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Mills Brothers recording of Paper Doll, I think is what we were listening to. Paper Doll is is one of my mother's favorite songs. And I remember her singing it when I was young. So I'm listening to the lyrics for just a second. And what's going on is the people are being called into the room by that guy. And I just register that Paper Doll is playing. And then I hear, who's next? And I'm looking at the order because I've been distracted and I'm looking at the order. And Oh, I think you were here before me. I said to, you know, like the other people, I think, I think you guys were here before me. And the guy with the accent came out of the room and looked at me and went, no, you, you're next. Oh man. And, you know, motioned for me to get in the room and I walked into the room and he slammed the door. Okay. But I want to go back to Paper Doll for a second. I'm gonna buy a paper doll that I can call my own. All of this talk about what's real, what's not. We're talking AI. Artificial intelligence, we're talking... Some people are talking robots. All of these weird theories are going around. I'm going to quote the lyrics for Paper Doll for a second. I'm going to buy a paper doll that I can call my own, a doll that other fellows cannot steal. And then the flirty, flirty guys with their flirty, flirty eyes will have to flirt with dollies that are real. When I come home at night, she will be waiting. She'll be the truest doll in all this world. I'd rather have a paper doll to call my own than have a fickle-minded, real-live girl. Than have a fickle-minded, real-live girl. Hmm. All of that, all of the lyrics about stealing something that doesn't belong to you or that you didn't create, so you create it on your own. The investors supposedly taking this creation away from the original creators. This lyric stating that I'd rather have something fake than deal with the real live girl. Right, which I can understand. That I can, (laughs) something that I can control. I just when I when I when I went back because I because I, I I was kind of hearing the lyrics and I was like, I wonder if that's as significant. And then I I looked them up when I got home. I was like, holy crap, that's kind of an eerie, like weird undertone that those lyrics would be playing in that room when you're talking about investors taking away a creation and creating something new. Add that to the the concept of creating a fake girl that you can control rather than dealing with a real live one. I'm overthinking this, aren't I? I want to say yes so bad, but I mean, I think there's something there. <laughs> Why that song? Yeah. Is like, and I just, I literally totally forgot about that until last night. 
uh, when I came home and I was like, oh yeah, I should re- refresh my memory on a couple of things that happened. I saw that I literally wrote paper doll playing in background because I remembered like my mother singing the song. Maybe so. they did that on purpose and they've been talking to your mother. <sighs> Nothing is random, dude. <laughs> so, but anyway, so I got into that room and I had a very similar experience where the guy, you know, told me to sit down and here's the thing, Mike, did you feel, did you find him intimidating? Yeah. Yeah. He, he is an intimidating man for sure. But uh, I don't know. There, I had a, I think I got a different vibe from this scene than a few other people. Uh, I, he had me sit down and he, you know, he asked me if I knew who he was and he made a very, very strong point to me after that whole initial, do you, did I know who he was? Like, I'm the guy here to fix this effing mess. Right. Like, and he kept motioning and indicating the room that I had just left. Yeah. He did the same thing to me. He's like, those guys, they have made a complete mess of this. I am here to clean it up. And, and he very specifically said, I have flown 17 hours away from my family to be here because of the mess that they have made. I'm the guy who's going to clean this mess up. So he came in and he sat down and he got uh, numerous people have said how intimate he got. Like he was right up next to me, like inches away from my face. And pretty soon it got personal. And he said something along the lines of, you should know something. You are valuable. Those people out there don't know your value i know your value so that kind of goes exactly to the point of nicole and the way she was talking to you i I, yeah i think so too it's funny i didn't make that connection in the moment but you're right so was he monitoring that room in the interviews who knows but he seemed very aware of all of the people in that room and he didn't like them i don't think So he looked at me and he had a moment of like, wait a minute, you, you participated in the tension experience. He kind of asked me that question. I said, yes, I did. And he went, you, you have a podcast. Oh man. I said, yeah, I do. I have a podcast with my good friend, Mike. He had stepped a little bit. He had moved a little bit away from me and he came back and he went, you have value. And he emphasized the value again and how those other people didn't appreciate my value. And then he said, you're going to be very handy to me. And he put his hand over my heart at some point, which I guess he had done to numerous people. Did he do that to you? I don't believe so. I don't remember that. And he asked me if I realized my own value And he asked me if I understood my value. And I said, no, I don't think I do. I don't think I I know what you're talking about. So there was a mirror in that room. Did you notice it? Yeah, I saw it. I believe it was the same mirror that was at the focus group. He had me go over and stand in front of the mirror. And he pushed me, Mike. He shoved me as close as possible. Literally, my toes were up on the edge of the mirror. He got me as close as physically possible to that mirror. And he, and he told me to look deeply at myself. 
and look deeply into myself. He was right next to me, sort of over my shoulder, looking at me as well in the mirror. And he said, perhaps you need to give yourself an answer that you haven't given yourself in a very long time. To which I was confused as to what exactly he meant. (laughs) So I pondered that for a little while, and I didn't know if he wanted me to give him some sort of answer. And I looked at myself, and I was thinking about what he said, trying to interpret it. And he just stood there and waited, Mike, which was a little intimidating. <laughs> and then finally what he did is he sort of wrapped around his arm around my chest, and he, he hit me. It was and I like, like that. And mm-hmm. he put it, like he hit his palm o- over my heart. And he said, keep that. Keep that there. And he went and he opened the door, and that was obviously the end of the conversation. So I said, before I leave, I would like to say, like, can you tell me how I could help you? Because he'd said I was going to be handy. So, and, and he said nothing. He just stood at the doorway and left the door open. And I went up and I offered my hand and he refused to shake it. I said goodbye and I walked out. And then I walked out uh, into a room, which a couple of people come in. It was like a storage area. And then Stephanie saw me through the window of the doorway. So Stephanie, you know, op- I like motioned for Stephanie to come over and I opened the door and we greeted each other. And I said, it's like, I'm apparently done in here. Where do I go now? And she said, oh, I like here. And she opens the exterior door for me to leave. And, I, and she kind of gave me a quick hug. And I said, really nice to see you again. She looked at me and she said, this is the hottest, sweatiest job I have ever had. And I was in the tension compound. (laughs) And that was it. I I left. But I want to say something, which I introduced a little, uh, a couple minutes ago, Mike. Look, that guy was intimidating. But, dude, this is, this is going to sound weird. I felt a, a bond with that guy. How so? There, there is no reason other than him stating that he recognized my value. I felt okay. That dude could kick my ass. <laughs> he could, like, 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 uh, he he could kick my ass. Strong, well built, tough guy. Obviously, carries himself very powerfully. But there was something about him, the way that he sat next to me, the way how close he got, how comfortable he was the way he measured his words of like, Oh wait, I, I, and he, and he had to think like, I'm aware of who you are. I understand all of that. Dude, this is going to sound insane. I felt protected by him. Interesting because there's pessimistic Mike that thinks this is bad. Uh, I, I could, I could have been totally manipulated, but the way he presented himself was that, he knew that he was in a mess and he was, he had a job to do and whoever was coming into that room, he had to deal with. But for me, I, I totally felt protected. I felt that he actually, there was a concern for me uh, and, and not just from what he said to me. Like, like, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know that sounds a little weird. Yeah. 
but I did. I, I felt, I don't know if I would say a kinship is the right word, but yeah, it, it just, I, I felt, I didn't feel as intimidated as some people have said that they felt. And he didn't try to wield power over me. He didn't try to, you know, uh, it, it's 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 very odd, but I did feel that. I felt almost like he was, I felt very safe in that room with him. I think that's the best thing to say. Okay. I don't know what that means. Me either. Okay. All <laughs> right. So, But it was there. It was definitely there in the room. And then a couple of us, a few of us met at a, at a restaurant bar nearby and sort of hashed out how the differences between our various interviews that's where i had heard that nicole was more sexual with other people drew told me about the conversation nicole had had with him that was really sexual um buzz explained to me that nicole had come on to him differently with the whole you're looking at my breasts other people had said that they heard reference that everyone was unhappy with the location that they didn't like the location they were disappointed in tina who was apparently the real estate person who was in charge of that location. All of that information came out as a group. And all of that's available on the forums if you look at the thread. And the biggest thing, there was the Darren sighting. Absolutely. Which I I did not see Darren at all. I didn't either. Uh, But apparently earlier in the day, Darren Lynn Bowsman was seen at that location. As was, uh, I believe his name is Gordon, who was one of the Mm -hmm. main investors behind the Tension Experience. The producer. Yeah, as far as we know, the producer. I just doubt everything now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were there. So what does that mean their involvement is? And we might find a little bit more about that soon later. So that was sort of the in-person registration from our point of view. Uh, it sounds like other people got different information depending on who they talked to. Yeah, it was an odd feeling day. How do How do you feel overall about this? You know... I know tension is only a year old. Yeah. But this brought me back to the old days of tension. Like when we first... In a good way? Yeah, definitely. Right. Like when we first started going to these events that they had and there was meetups afterwards and we all just nerded out like, what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? And the questioning and us wondering what the hell is going on all of that came back, like rushing back to me. I think the key phrase is came back mm-hmm. because there was intrigue. There was mystery. There was doubt. There was, wait, you got what information? Oh, wow. I didn't hear that. Wait, what? Which is sort of what we've been lacking so far in the lust experience to mm-hmm. some degree, because, you know, we've had all this corporate stuff going on. Right. This is the first I think on a personal level of interaction that actually lent itself to mystery and intrigue. I'll go back to those words. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And speaking of mystery and intrigue later that night, Mm -hmm. Megan got a call from Noah that she was going to meet him again, which Megan, as we had said earlier, had gotten a little bit of a gift from Noah a mysterious box with a disguise inside. Exactly. So now on the day of this registration, Megan gets a call from Noah. It's time. And apparently she needs to meet with him. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting thing. So 
she suited up and he, in the disguise yeah and what else would she suit up in okay <laughs> come on man just trying to help um and noah gave her a location so he went there and noah pulls up but there's another person driving the car mm-hmm. and it's otis right and otis had posted on facebook like a craigslist ad for someone looking for a driver and he said he was going to apply uh so i'm guessing this was the job yeah i'm guessing noah was the one that posted that craigslist ad and otis it, got it so what are the dots connecting there that's, that's a... <laughs> yeah so now otis is involved with noah yes so Otis drives Noah and Megan back to the location where the registration happened mm-hmm. and they broke in and Megan's disguise was one of the, the jumpsuits, like the white jumpsuits and right. gloves. And I think there was a, like a, um, not a gas mask, a, uh, like a, like a, uh, a breathing, yeah, uh, like yeah. an air filter mm-hmm. mask. Yeah. They broke in and, and booties. She had booties on too. She always has booty on. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, that was Mike, just to clarify. <laughs> Lust. <laughs> All right. And the fun and cool thing about this is as soon as they got into the warehouse, everything was periscoped. Yes. So we got to see the hijinks happen. Megan's periscope went live, but as soon as we tune in, it's quite obvious that Noah is in control of the periscope. And he is bonkers over the top energetic and he starts out with the message of hey daddy look where i am not at home right so that makes everyone think that his dad is part of osdm or in charge of everything and a whole bunch of other rabbit holes and so all of the theories about who exactly is noah's dad is it the guy that we saw at the book signing party you know who is noah's dad he references ousting his dad out of a company on his website. So, yeah. But anyway, this that was a little personal family jab there. Uh, and then he starts telling Megan what to periscope. And they do a sweep of the interior room where we had the registration. Obviously, a, a bunch of the tables and stuff had been removed. And... He reveals something on the floor and he, he, he shows he takes the periscope and shows Megan in her in her disguise. And then he gives Megan a task and he points the periscope, the, the phone to the floor. And there's a whole bunch of pieces of paper all on the floor. And immediately the first thing I thought of Mike was, OK, wait a minute. We had talked about what if you put all these weird little pieces <laughs> together? I wonder if they reveal anything. And then the second thing I thought of, like, oh, my God, all those pages were numbered. Mm-hmm. And obviously they were meant to go in a very specific order and they had been laid out on the floor that way. So he gave ta- the, the task to Megan of start to uncover, to flip all of these pieces over because they were all blank. So or actually they were our signatures. So Megan starts to flip those over. And then Noah decides to go on a bit of a rant. Now, Mike, near the beginning of this whole Noah periscope thing, after hours in the registration location, he called us knuckleheads. Yeah. 
Like, not a way to win friends. <laughs> and if he has all this info, why didn't he try to stop us beforehand? Yeah, but uh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, he called us knuckleheads for signing those forms. Because we had no idea what we're getting ourselves into. Absolutely. Which, he's got a valid point. Yeah. <laughs> so, he makes very specific reference to his dad. And he... He basically explains that the one piece of power that he now has, and in the periscope, he goes over to a couple of boxes and he shows these boxes and he tells his dad on the periscope that he's got all of the OSDM info that was gathered on all of the people from the tension experience, which I find it really interesting that he says, you know, from your previous experiment. Right. Now, I found something that I think we can dive right into. Hey, Dad, do you remember these? Huh? These look familiar? I bet they do, I bet they do, I bet they do. Yes. Here is all the precious emotional data from your previous experiment and all the people that you mind it from. I think that's a really interesting phrase. So are we literally lab rats? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't really ever see us that way during tension. Well, I didn't either. But this really does look like this is a... There's power playing with people's lives. Mm-hmm. And he's emphasizing that by the fact that he now has these secrets in his possession. Um, he also, oh, my God. What? I just thought of something. Yeah. Okay, in the Periscope, he also mentions how he screwed up because they sent him into into Ascension and he screwed up. To contain up. the mess near the end right. when things were getting out of hand. And he failed. Yeah. He basically admitted that. And hey, remember when you had me go in to try to contain everything? Said everything's getting way too contaminated. I need you to go there and clean it up and fix it. And boy, did I go in and I was a huge fucking failure. I really was. I really was. But it was so much fun. So much fun. Do you remember me telling you about how him and I were trapped in the TV room together? Oh, yeah. He started to cry. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Because he realized he screwed up. Maybe. Hmm. Because I... Oh, as much as I hate to say this. He does seem to have a human side. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the meaning of that sequence was with you. Yeah. Because I think you have witnessed, well, I, I think multiple people have witnessed little glimpses of really human emotion with him. I think Megan has gotten several of those, mm-hmm. but you got one of the earliest ones. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, he, he does make reference to how the fact that he had failed when he had been sent in to clean up the, the mess that tension was near the end, but he walked away with those secrets, Mike, and if he's got that and he's considering that power what does that mean right it means osdm has plans for that information he thinks well also it seems that osdm or whoever has plans for sarah because he said he's only he's he would release it if they don't release her so they sounds like they have her well it does sound like that but he also he kind of explains the beginning of lust because he, he acknowledges, like, you know what? It was a good idea for Sarah to try to get me back in line. 
And he kind of chuckles and says, but you know, I'm a handful. So he's very aware of how reckless his behavior is. And he's admitting to that. And he admits that I think to some degree, he, or maybe not admits, realizes that he has put Sarah in danger because Sarah had a job. Sarah had the job to contain him and she failed. Much like it sounds, he failed to contain the problems with tension. Right. I know that this is still the only power that I have. Small as it may seem, but for the time I can deal with it. Because you know why? Because I got the fucking secrets. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it would be very good of you to let her go. Because if you don't, I'm going to shed as much fucking light as I want to. And you will be exposed. And I know that you don't want that. So he's now trying to bargain for Sarah's protection and safety. Right. Which seems, it appears, that he actually does love her and care about her. Yeah. I, that And to be totally honest, I'm surprised by that. Paper doll. Perhaps. I don't know. This is, I, I don't know. He does say it would be a good idea for dad to let her go. So he's calling for some sort of bargaining. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he would give all of that information back to the OSDM if Sarah is made safe. But, you know, he, he flat out tells us that we don't know what you've gotten yourselves into. And the way he makes that point is he does the reveal of on the Periscope, because Megan, during all of this sort of rant that he goes on and him talking to his dad through the Periscope, Megan has been fulfilling her task of turning all of those pieces of paper over. Get a good shot of that. Look at what you silly motherfuckers signed up for. And what do you think that is, Mike? Uh, It's a logo for something. Yeah. It's a a snake eating itself. Um, And I'm not sure. Is it the eye in the middle? It looks like an upside down eye with fire or something along those lines. Which looks like the Lust logo, but it's different. It's very similar to the the logo on the Lust page. Yeah. Um, But underneath it, it says, I pledge my desire for their sacrifice and freedom. And Noah flat out says, you guys don't know what you guys, what you've signed up for, what you've gotten yourselves into. Right. He sort of gives an ultimatum at the end. He says that he expects to go back to business as usual, which is him telling people what to do and how to do it, which he obviously enjoys. And Sarah will be safe. Mm -hmm. That's it. So we don't know where this has led. Yeah, we don't know. Like, I mean... Is he, ugh, there's so many questions. Like, is he against the investors? Is he part of the investors? Is Are the investors part of OSDM? Do they control OSDM? Does OSDM control them? Like, do the Sinclairs, like, where do they fall into all of this? Like, who is his dad? Like, I think we know one thing for sure, though. One theory we can end and squash is hmm. that Otis is not Noah's dad. I think that's pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one check off the list out of <laughs> we the have figured thousands. out one thing <laughs> hopefully <laughs> so um yeah i i think that's pretty safe to say because he was hired to do that driving job but knowing this universe somehow otis had the helmet on and is noah's dad or something like that hmm <laughs> do you think the helmet will come back i don't doubt it but 
who knows and brian hit up clint just about registration and it's really interesting because clint asked him why do you keep going back do they have something on you i don't want to be involved and you keep walking in and then brian explained his reasons and clint responded with everything is fucked i can't help anyone further than i already have so this is important for what we're going to get to in a few minutes mm-hmm. clint saying this uh, and then also that night on the lust facebook there was a a picture and it said prologue ends chapter one begins mm-hmm. so that was just the prologue oh man we are so <laughs> screwed for chapter one so then it was kind of quiet for a couple of days after registration then rizzo mike rizzo mm-hmm. got a phone call yeah because there was some talk on the forums early on when the the noah sinclair emails started going out Rizzo was the only person that had a date attached to his. Mm-hmm. So it said, you're going to be in the seminar on 5-5. Right. And so that got brought up on the forums again saying, hey, like, is this going to happen? And apparently Noah and Sarah saw the activity on the forum because they reached out to him. Uh, so Noah called him first and asked him, uh, oh, you had a date with my wife today, correct? And Rizzo told him yes. And Noah told him that he's been too busy wiping shit in mucus, but Sarah is safe. And he told Rizzo, again, thank you for, your, for the patience as we deal with our shit. This is not a cancellation, but a rescheduling. Also, didn't he make a reference in that where, where Noah said something along the lines of, I've been dealing with some weird shit? Yeah, he's, yeah. I want to know what in Noah Sinclair's life weird shit is categorized as. <laughs> like, what would that guy consider weird shit? Hmm. I just find that an interesting thing to ponder. <laughs> so just, just planting that seed, run with it if you want. <laughs> sure. Uh, and then a little bit after Noah called him, Sarah called him. And it sounds like Sarah didn't get the memo from Noah that this meeting got rescheduled and pushed so she called Rizzo just to confirm the meeting and asked if the evening would work and he said yes and she she said she wanted to go over the remodeling of the master bedroom and if she could call tomorrow and work out the location so there's a couple theories about that thinking maybe someone walked in on her as she was on the phone with like with someone him. was overhearing the phone call right so she had to cover her tracks which which makes sense and here's the thing if she has been held captive which is a theory because Noah was saying about Sarah needs to be safe you'll let her go um is that part of the reason like she called Rizzo to make the appointment, but Noah said that it was going to be not a cancellation, but a rescheduling. Like, like seriously, maybe have have Sarah and Noah not reconnected at this point? Right. Yeah, because especially if... We don't know if Sarah and Noah are together. Yeah, that's exactly it. Based on what he said in the Periscope, I'm leaning towards they are not together and she's being held somewhere. Maybe she got out for this meeting. Maybe she escaped? Well... I don't think it's being held as in you're tied to a chair or chained to a wall type of being held. I think it's more of like a reverse safe house. Like you're coming with us. You're staying here. No contact. Constant none of that. monitoring. Yeah. 
Okay. So then later that night, Rizzo gets a call and it's late. It's like maybe 1130 ish. Yeah, I think it was pretty late. And she calls him and asks him if he's at home and he wasn't. So, but she told him to get there and she's waiting for him outside of his house. Right. Which his, his description of her, God damn it. I hate it when I feel sympathy for people I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) And Sarah has rubbed me the wrong way a couple of times, but uh, she sounded so pathetic. And I, and I, and that's not like a judgy, like calling her pathetic. It just sounded like a pathetic situation. It was raining. She, and he said, you know, like she was literally drenched and standing outside of his house. Yeah. Like that's gotta be miserable. It was cold. Mm -hmm. So that's a shame that anyone, you know, is in that position. Yeah, his description of that meeting, um, it seems like it was really, really brief, Mike. Mm -hmm. But very important. Apparently, one of the first things Sarah did when uh, Rizzo got there was immediately wanted to see his phone and stated that, you know, she wanted to make sure that it was off. So, you know, Rizzo showed her his phone to prove that it was off and she said something along the lines to him of they're always, they're listening always. So they have our phones tapped at all times and I need to make sure that we're safe, which I guess is apparently why she wanted to see his phone turned off. And she said, I got your info from this. They have all of this info too. And she hands him a manila folder, Mike with his questionnaire from tension that original, how many questions was that thing? Like 10,000. So all of that personal data that they, they supposedly mined from all of us last year, she turned over his manila folder with his questionnaire, saying that they, whoever they is, have all of that information on all of us. So I think all of those questionnaires are still in play, apparently. Yeah. And all of that information is still in play. Crap. For those of us who answered those questionnaires pretty damn honestly, that's... I don't know. Now we know why the how many times do you masturbate a day question comes into play. <laughs> Lust. Yeah, right. After that exchange, she asks if Rizzo has a dog, which apparently he does. Uh, and she hands him a toy turtle, like a dog chew toy. Or in the Periscope, he called it Gamera. Or somebody else on the Periscope nicknamed it Gamera, and he, he picked that up. But... um and she said, here, this is for your dog. She then warns him, or at least the way I interpreted this, Mike, was that it was a warning of some kind. Was that She said, uh, you don't know them, but you will now. You'll see who they truly are. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. And he said after that point, she basically ran up the street into the darkness, assuming that there's probably a ride waiting to take her away. His description, he went to the forums and he described this encounter. And I find it interesting that he specifically wanted to draw attention to the fact that this seemed so human and vulnerable on her part, which really does. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, there's glimpses of her, you know, through this whole experience where she is she's the type of corporate person that, you know, toes the party line and is always businesslike even in her personal life and now that we are seeing more and more glimpses of her 
with the facade down, which has happened a couple of times. And I'm really curious to see her and Noah together again to interact again. Wow. Because I, I'm I'm curious to see what the vibe will be if we get the chance to see them together again. That's a very delicate flower of you. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. I'm not a delicate flower. Um, the uh, But the reason I say that is because, you know, the whole when they had the Orange County meetup where, you know, she and Noah arrived, there was that weird standoffish vibe. But she obviously has another side to her. I wouldn't say obviously. I, I think from what she's, Rizzo said. Yeah, but she's showing us what we want to see. Like, that's another manipulation point. God, you're so cynical. Hey. I'm buying into this, and I don't care for the hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I'm the one with the sympathy. <laughs> Did you say you don't care for the hurt? So, no, you don't care. I don't care for her. Oh. So. I was like, wow. Okay. I, it's, I, I just, I, I go to sympathy. I, I do. I'm just trying to keep an open mind on her still. Oh, I'm I'm trying to keep an open mind, but ne- but you're but, not at this point. No, I'm not if there's sympathy. Uh, it's the optimism thing that I have that that maybe you know, maybe she is a wonderful person with a great heart, and and she and Noah, I don't know, will somehow get through this together and become something better than they were before. But I don't know if they're right for each other. So why am I having this conversation with myself? What am I doing? But that's the thing. Like, she's got you fooled, man. Like, you're talking about Noah and Sarah walking off into the sunset to live happily ever after. And what that has happened so far would lead you to believe that to happen or want that to happen. Absolutely nothing. So why are you thinking that? Because I'm an optimistic, sensitive guy, apparently. (laughs) People like Sarah and Noah don't walk into the sunset. They own the beach and charge people to walk on that beach into the sunset. Boom. <laughs> so in the future, I just need to like carry that little sound bite with me on my phone and just repeat <laughs> that sometimes. <laughs> what, the lust sound effect? So, no, 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 no. <laughs> the whole like, yeah, it's like they're not that kind of people. Because look, th- like three or four weeks ago, I was totally where you are in saying that. Of like, I don't give a crap about them right so you know i don't know i I just find that i find this exchange this weird little it's like a door opening onto something new with sarah you know and 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 yeah and the same with the the, with the noah periscope as well i think that's kind of like a like a, a step into something new with him but the vulnerability thing here that was so unexpected to me because it's like but but what better way to get people on your side? Yeah, that's true. That is true. So it's funny because I think ever since the cat bear, yes, we've always made jokes like, oh, there was an opening. I looked for stuff in it and there isn't anything. And, you know, anything we get, we always try to look for like a hidden thing, mm-hmm. like a hidden clue. And on the periscope, Rizzo was doing that, but he didn't see anything. As soon as he ended the periscope, he found something in the chew toy and he, he repair, he re and showed us and it was a USB. And of course, um, a USB needs a computer. So Rizzo 
I don't have a computer. I just have an iPad. And it, it's just like, I think you could hear the community all at once slap their forehead and groan. <laughs> yes. um, but also because the community is so awesome. Like there was many people that were like, I'll come get you. I have a laptop. I'll come here. You come here. So that got sorted out really quick. And on the USB was a phone recording from Darren, and I'm guessing the accent man from registration. Maybe, yeah. And in that recording, it's I mean, a- I I hate saying this in this way, but Darren is this guy's bitch on the on that call. To some degree, I mean, it's first of all, it's a late night phone call because he wakes up uh, Darren's wife, mm-hmm. and she answers the phone, and it, it you you hear the like why is someone calling me at this hour? Yeah. <laughs> you hear it in her voice. Like, like uh, what is going on? So in my family, late night phone calls always means bad news. So, um, uh, so yeah. And, and the phone call, it sounds like, uh, not a confrontation, but it, it's, you know, the accented voice tells Darren that he needs to get on this situation and do some spin control. Mm-hmm. So Darren is still involved, although it sounds very, very involuntary. Well, Darren also states that, like, look, you guys wanted to be in control. This is what it's like to be in control. Mm -hmm. You deal with it. (laughs) You need to put spin on this package. Make people think it's well-oiled machine. Create the illusion. No, there's no more spin. No more fucking wall breaking. They're smarter than this stupid shit you have us doing. You guys wanted to control it, so fucking control it. But by the end of the phone call, you get the impression that the guy is insisting that Darren spin this. And Darren says, like, you guys have us doing stupid stuff. Nobody's buying into it. The the community is smarter than you think. So I don't know what to get from that phone call. What do you think, Mike? Well, so at the end of the phone call the man with the accent tells Darren to call Clint and that they need to make these people think that the small dog lover is back at the keyboard. So where to believe that Clint is back writing things and on Facebook and and Mm -hmm. for lust and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It's just something doesn't, I don't know. Just something is weird because we have this guy that's talking down to Darren and I think also in the back of my mind, I still he- have Darren saying, oh, we're going to break your hearts. You know, it, I go back to something which I said several podcasts ago in the fact that my personal exposure to, you know, OSDM, it's always been awkward, clunky, and I mean, in, at the worst case scenario, buffoonish on their part. Um, so... For him to say, these guys have made this a complete mess. For him to say that to me, let's just call him the man with the accent. Yeah. Is he referring to OSDM? And the reason I I go there is because they're the ones who've been data mining. They're the ones that Noah said, like, look, I have all these secrets that that were data mined from your participants. And, you know, the OSDM supposedly was in charge at the very end there when... You know, they shamed Addison the way they did publicly and said, like, look, this, this, this box of information is the value, not you. I I just, I don't know. It's interesting that you bring that up because I don't know if you saw it yet, but I made a, a theory on the forums about how OOA, BOS, 
uh, iConfidant, the system, they're all actively recruiting people. Mm-hmm. OSDM is the only one that isn't recruiting people that we know about. So the fact that you say they're buffoonish, one of the, the things I was thinking of is they have to be, replace people at some point, you know? So maybe they're watching us all now. But if you, maybe the people that we've seen are not a real true OSDM because if you're a secret society, you have to remain secret. <laughs> so sending out people like to, that you're saying are buffoonish, those can't possibly be OSDM members because a true OSDM member should be super like trained. And y- you know what I mean? Like there's like, it just seems like there's a level of professionality, I guess. Um, you know, and then, and then Chris was saying the same thing. Like, if you're a secret society, you're not going to tell people you're a secret society, you know? So what if these people are thinking like, what if people are telling the, these, these quote unquote OSDM members that, yeah, you're OSDM, go do our work for, for us. But they're just patsies. They're not true OSDM. They just think they are. That, that, that makes more sense to me just because of, and I think that's why, you know, go back to the frustration and, you know, I've I've joked in the past, the woman has anger issues, Michelle. Um, her frustration that she expressed of, what's with the theatrics? Come on. Mm-hmm. Like, what's with all of this, like, oh, we're going to have a cult. Oh, we're going to be, you know, it's like, and, and she flat out said, like, look, the old ways aren't working. If, if you want power, power is information. That's what will get you what you want or need in this world not clear exactly who I think what OSDM wants or needs, but that concept of if there's people that they have, you know, messengers, PAs or production assistants, you know, uh, so maybe that's all Noah and Sarah are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to what end? I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to here, hold my shovel. (laughs) because <laughs> we just keep digging this hole deeper and deeper. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still waiting. I feel like there's something lurking in the background still that we, that is going to reveal itself. And, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be good when it does, you know, and they keep going back to the whole, or pardon me, you keep going back to the whole quote of they're going to break our hearts. You know, they certainly have a lot of information. You know, they certainly hold information about what what we intend to invest in. You know, and I'm not referring to you and me or just you and me, Mike. I'm I'm the community as a whole. I, I think all of us at some time have expressed where our sympathies lie or where we're most vulnerable. The The person who you know, goes for BOS because they believe it will help someone else or the person who goes to BOS because they think it will give them power over others. That's selfish motivation. You know, someone who's willing to hop into a strange car for the good of the community and then find themselves in a position to have their fingerprints stolen. Right. It's like we've, we've all demonstrated a willingness to play the game but the game is getting murkier and murkier. And the tendency is now to believe that the outcome might be much bigger and more unpleasant than we ever suspected over a year ago. It's intriguing stuff. Yeah. 
And that's everything as of now. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) So yeah, that catches us up on everything. And I mean, we're in chapter one now, so I don't know. It's going to be a bumpy ride, I think. I think it's going to be a very bumpy ride. Yeah, and for more information on The Lust Experience, you can find them on the web at thelustexperience.com, on Facebook, The Lust Experience, on Instagram, The Lust Experience, on Twitter, Lust underscore experience. Uh, You can go to Noah's website at noahsinclair.com, and you can go to iConfidant's website at iConfidant.net, or find them on Facebook at iConfidant. And in the show notes, we'll have links to Otis's Facebook, to Macy's Twitter, to the Sinclair's Twitter, and also all the different ways you can catch up, uh, like the subreddit, Blondie's blog, and Buzz's uh, thread on the forums. Which is, all of those are so helpful. Yeah. And that's it for this podcast episode. I believe so. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at mike at myhauntlife.com or russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's. And you can find us on the web at myhauntlife.com, on Facebook, My Haunt Life, on Twitter and Instagram, My Haunt Life. And we're also on YouTube. Search for My Haunt Life Podcast. And of course, you can shoot us a text or leave us a message on the hotline, 515-HAUNTS-LA. With that being said, I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. We're not there yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were. No.